0: Well, Dick Hauser was the manager of the Kansas City Royals, and he was diagnosed, and this was several years ago, but was diagnosed with brain cancer. Um, after a series of surgeries, his wife Nancy was interviewed by Sports Illustrated, and they were talking to her about what this experience had meant, and, and she said it had caused her a lot to think about life, and these were her words. As a child, I was brought up to believe that it was not whether you won or lost, but how you played the game. Then, in the real world, I found that to be all wrong. There I learned you have to win to get anywhere. And it didn't matter how you did it. But now, after what has happened to my husband Dick, I realize that my priorities in the so-called real world were all wrong. Ms. Hauser's comments Remind us of the importance of right priorities, of examining our priorities. And so this morning, we're going to think together about questions such as, what is your life really about? What are you valuing in life? What are you really valuing in life? We'll be concluding our journey through the book of Jonah. We'll be in Jonah 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 5. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I'd invite you to take a copy there in front of you in the pew. You can turn to page 822. Now, it's likely that this book was written by the prophet Jonah. We don't know for sure, but it contains a lot of autobiographical information that would lead us to such a conclusion. While a lot of commentators have argued that this book must be understood figuratively or allegorically, it couldn't be real, yet the Bible presents the book of Jonah as historical fact presents it as a historical narrative. And the reason that commentators have argued that it couldn't be true is because of the, the fanciful events that happen. But what we believe is that the God who can create the whole universe and sustain the whole universe can accomplish the miracles that you see in the book of Jonah. Now let's look at what happens over the course of this book. The book began as, as God called Jonah to preach to the city of Nineveh. Now Nineveh was the capital of Assyria and Assyria was an enemy of Israel and the prophet Jonah wanted nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the repentance of Nineveh. He didn't want the people of Nineveh to have a chance to get right with God. So what did he do? He hopped in a ship sailing in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Well, a raging storm came and everyone in the boat was about to sink or the the boat was about to sink and everyone was about to die. So it became clear that They were in this storm because of Jonah's rebellion. So Jonah was thrown overboard, and he's sinking into the depths of the sea. When a giant fish swallows him, he's in the belly of that fish for three days. And then the fish vomits him up onto dry land. And guess what? God's there with a word for Jonah again. Hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach exactly what I tell you. And this time, Jonah went to Nineveh, and he preached exactly what God told him to And when he did, the people of Nineveh, they were broken over their sin. They began to to, to fast and to pray, and they changed. They repented. And Jonah was furious. He couldn't bear that the people of Nineveh had repented. Let's pick up in chapter 4, verse 5. Jonah left the city, and he found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, It's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right. He replied, I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in the night and perished in the night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals Well, in verse 5, we see that Jonah gets out of Nineveh. He doesn't travel too far. When he sort of sets up shop, you might say, just east of Nineveh. The fact that he's gone east of Nineveh indicates separation or distance. The word for city in, in the Hebrew text occurs three different times. And what we see, this emphasis upon the city, is that while the city of Nineveh did not matter to Jonah, the city of Nineveh mattered greatly to God. Now Jonah has made some sort of a makeshift shelter, provides him some shade, maybe maybe made it out of sticks or timber of some sort. And Jonah sat there watching and waiting, looking at the city of Nineveh. We don't know for sure what was going on in his mind, but it's likely that Jonah was still hoping that God would judge the city of Nineveh, maybe Something will happen. God will cause judgment to fall upon this city. Perhaps he was thinking of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember when God brought judgment upon those cities in, in Genesis 9? Fire was raining down from the skies. And perhaps he was sitting there thinking, oh, let the fire fall. God, let the fire fall. So Jonah sat waiting and watching. Well, what happened, happens next? Let's look in verse 6. The Lord appointed a plant. This was probably a gourd, though some commentators suggest maybe a a castor plant. But this plant grew rapidly right there where, where he had set up his shelter. Now, we recognize that this kind of growth is supernatural growth. But again, we have a God who can accomplish what he chooses to accomplish Now this plant provided shade, it provided Jonah some real relief. Apparently his his shelter had given him some relief, but this plant provided some, some serious relief. Jonah wasn't just hot about God showing the people of Nineveh mercy, he was hot physically. He was really hot. That scorching northeastern sun was taking its toll on him. And when this plant showed up, Jonah was thrilled. He was delighted about it. The the scripture tells us that this plant rescued him from his trouble or from his discomfort. Now the word that's used for trouble or discomfort can also be translated evil. In fact, it's used in just that way. The very same word in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2 when when the scriptures are speaking of the evil uh, of the city of Nineveh. And so what this indicates is that God is not just rescuing Jonah from the heat. God is rescuing Jonah from his own evil character from the deficiencies in Jonah's character as one commentator said it the Lord is more committed to Jonah's character than to his comfort so Jonah is sitting there east of the city still hoping maybe somehow some way judgment is going to fall on the city the city's not on fire yet but Jonah he's about to be the sun hasn't even risen when a worm shows up And this worm went to work on that wonderful plant that Jonah was so delighted about. And after the worm's handiwork, well, the plant was done. It was over. It had wilted and died away. Where did that worm come from? Well, in verse 7, we see the answer to that. The worm was appointed by God. He was appointed by God just as the whale had been and just as the plant had been. The whale, the plant, and the worm were meant to teach Jonah. So as the sun rose, the the worm wasn't the only teaching tool that God had appointed. We see that God had also appointed a scorching east wind. It was already burning hot, and now there's a fiery, strong wind blowing as well. The sun is beating down on Jonah, and Jonah couldn't stand it. Nineveh wasn't on fire, but Jonah was. And apparently this heat had weakened Jonah to the place that that he nearly fainted. For Jonah, death was better. It was preferred to this awful misery. Under the rays of that scorching sun and those blistering blasts of wind, Jonah began to beg God to die. To Jonah, death seemed to offer the only real relief. So just as Jonah had already done in verse 3, he's pleading with God, God, just take my life. Just let this be over. Through God's teaching appointments, one commentator noted, the shoe that Jonah wants Nineveh to wear, that is discomfort and disaster, is now resting securely on his own foot. Jonah is experiencing the pain that he longed for the people of Nineveh to experience. So he is angry He is burning up, and he's filled with despair. How does God respond? Look in verse 9. God questions Jonah. He says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? Now, the word for anger can mean to burn. Jonah, is it right for you to burn? To burn with anger about this plant. How does Jonah respond? Well, the question's meant to be answered negatively. No, it's not right. But that's not how Jonah answers the question. He says to God, It's right for me to burn about this plant. I am angry. I'm burning to the point of death. And then in verse 10, God helps Jonah to begin to connect the dots. He enables Jonah to see the link between the plant, the worm, and the wind. And God says to Jonah, You cared about the plant, you had compassion on the plant. And yet you have no compassion for the people of Nineveh. It's a plant that you didn't plant. You didn't put the seed in the ground. You did nothing to cultivate the plant. The plant was here and then it was gone. But you cared deeply about the plant. You cared about the plant's welfare. But you didn't care about the people of Nineveh. People who are made in the image of God. People whose souls were eternal. People that God had created. And so he tells Jonah... He had no compassion for Nineveh. In essence, that's what he's saying. But he says, You care about a plant, Jonah? Isn't it right that I care about a whole city full of people? A whole city full of people? Over 120,000 people in this city? God described the people of Nineveh as not knowing their left from the right. What, what's he mean? He's meaning spiritually, they, they don't know. There's confusion, moral and spiritual confusion among the people. Then God mentions the the animals that are there. So God isn't only concerned with the people that he's created, but also with the created things that he's made that have been entrusted to the people. So he cares about the people, and he cares about the things that are important for the people's welfare, the animals. And then, just suddenly, the book ends. And we know nothing of what happened after that with Jonah. leaves a lot of questions In our minds. What does this passage that, that we've looked at this morning teach us? Well, God's heart for the lost, God's heart for the lost should burden our hearts for the lost. In other words, God's love and compassion for those who don't know Him, that ought to burden our hearts for those folks. It ought to weigh our hearts down. We ought to have compassion and concern for people who don't know the Lord. The city of Nineveh was on God's heart. The question is this, is this city on our hearts? Is this town that we live in, is it on our hearts? What about the the towns and cities and people all across the globe who've never heard the name of the Lord Jesus? Are those people on our hearts? That's the question this book leaves us asking as it concludes have you ever lost something that really mattered to you? I'm pretty scatterbrained and and not real good at keeping up with stuff. I've lost my wedding ring on multiple occasions. Thankfully, I found it every time. But when I've lost my wedding ring, it troubles me. I can't really rest until I found it. And you, you know that feeling. When you've lost something valuable, you just you feel ill at ease until you locate it, until you get a hold of it drives you crazy until it's back in your possession well in a sense that kind of restless concern ought to be the kind of concern we have for people who don't know the lord jesus our hearts ought to be burdened weighed down so that we pray for them so that daily we're we're praying for them so that we share the gospel with them You see, our hearts shouldn't be at ease when there are so many people around us who do not know the Lord Jesus. So God, give us a heart for the lost. Give us your heart for the lost. That's what we need. Let's think about how these verses inform our thinking and our living First, instead of waiting and watching, we need to be praying and proclaiming. Instead of waiting and watching, we need to be praying and proclaiming. Jonah was an unwilling participant in God's redemption of Nineveh. And then he became a sullen spectator, waiting and watching. And God isn't calling us to wait and watch. No, friends, God is calling us to pray and to proclaim, to share the good news of the gospel. Is your heart so burdened for people who don't know the Lord that you're lifting them up day by day before the Lord with tears? Is your heart so burdened that you go ahead and you tell people about Jesus even though those kinds of conversations can be kind of awkward and and uncomfortable? You see, we've got to care enough about people who don't know the Lord to take action. It's one thing to say, oh, we want to see people come to know Jesus. You bet. We're all excited about that. We're going to give money so so missionaries are sin and people find out about the Lord. But my part, well, it's maybe writing a check every now and then. My part, well, I'll cheer folks on. Go get them. No, friends. Your part and my part it's praying it's proclaiming it's telling others when jesus was here ministering on earth he saw the masses of people and he was broken hearted for the matthew 9 36 says this jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd is your heart broken for the lost this morning let's ask the lord to break our hearts to help us to care, to help us to pray, to help us to proclaim the gospel. There are lost people all around us. There are our neighbors, there are our co-workers, there are friends, there are our family. And there are lost people all over the world. It's not a time for watching and waiting, friends. It's a time for praying. It's a time for proclaiming. Next, Is the wideness of God's mercy, is the wideness of his mercy evident in how you treat others? Is the wideness of his mercy evident in the way that you treat others? Do you really show compassion to others? Do you really long to help other people or do you use people? Do you treat them as as pawns in the building of your own kingdom? Or are you apathetic toward others? Just ignore them. You don't really care. You see, God's love is a relentless love. It's a beautiful love. It's far-reaching. And the question that we've got to ask, is our love that way? Are we showing the kind of compassion and care and concern for others that God has shown us? That he has for others? You see, God's mercy is so wide that he gave up his own son. Why did God need to give up his own son on a cross? For this reason, because every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us has said to God, you know what, God, I'll do things my way. You may say this, but I'll do what I want to do. Every one of us is guilty of that kind of rebellion against God. And God is so holy and pure, he can't overlook that. He, he can't say, oh, it's no big deal, sin is, sin is little. No, God is so holy and pure, that's a huge, that's a huge issue. His character's on the line, so what did God do? God and his Amazing mercy sent his own son to die on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment, the penalty for our sin that a holy God would pour upon you and me because of our wickedness. And he put that penalty upon his own son. And he made a way for guilty sinners like you and me to have our sins washed away, to have our sins erased so that we could be in a relationship with him, so that we could have eternal life So, friend, that is the wide mercy of God. Next, this passage would call us to consider our priorities. Consider our priorities. Jonah prioritized a plant over people. He cared more about a plant that he hadn't even planted, that he had done nothing to take care of than he did about people, a whole city filled, full of people, over 100,000 people. And this requires us to think about our own priorities. Do we prioritize plants? That is, things that don't last, non-human things, non-human pursuits. Do we prioritize plants over people? Is it plants or is it people that you prioritize? One of the great regrets that I've heard many men share is to say that they regret not spending more time with their kiddos when their kids were young. In a recent book, Phil Collins' daughter, Lily, said this to her dad, I forgive you for not always being there when I needed you and for not being the dad I expected. I forgive the mistakes you made. And although it may seem like it's too late, it's not. There's still so much time to move forward. Now, what tough words for a dad to hear. But these words remind us of how critical it is that we have the right priorities so what are your priorities? Are you prioritizing all sorts of pursuits? You're chasing after this and chasing after that. Friends, is it just plants that you're prioritizing? Or are you prioritizing people, people who are made in the image of God and people whose souls are eternal and who will either spend eternity in heaven with God or who will spend eternity separated from him in hell? What are you prioritizing? This Scripture, this passage reminds us of how important it is to prioritize that which matters, that which truly matters. As we reflect on this passage, we should say that we ought to consider the danger of anger. We should consider the danger of anger. You see, Jonah's anger had taken him to a terrible place. And your anger and my anger can take us to those kinds of places too. Have you let your anger turn to rage? Has your anger turned into unforgiveness and seething bitterness? Your anger may destroy you if you aren't careful. So ask God to help you with your anger. Ask God to help you to forgive. Ask God to help you walk in righteousness when it comes to your anger. Memorize scripture related to anger. Ask a Christian friend to pray for you. Whatever it takes. If anger's getting a a, a hold of you, by God's grace, do what it takes to to honor God with, with that part of your life. Anger's a little bit like handling acid. When you're holding acid, if you spill a little, you're going to know it. You're going to have quite a burn. Anger and acid, they are both very dangerous, and we must be very careful with both. Next, this passage reminds us that believers can struggle with despair. Believers can struggle with despair. Jonah wanted to die. Now, his emotional turmoil was mainly the result of his own sin, his own rebellious heart, but he preferred death over life. And this reminds us that even followers of God can prefer death over life. We can can struggle. And if this is you, I want to remind you this morning of the importance of getting help. If you're struggling and you're down, you're feeling low, maybe suicidal, don't walk that path alone. Get help. God doesn't intend for you to walk it alone. Talk to a, a trusted Christian friend. Talk to one of our pastors. Talk to your physician, to a Christian counselor. Get help. When I was a kid, one of some of the favorite cartoon characters that I had would use force fields. Maybe, maybe some of you remember this. Uh, an enemy would be coming after them, and they would activate their force field, which was basically like an invisible barrier that would keep them from being harmed. And sometimes it's as if we believe Christians have sort of a force field around them. and We aren't prone to depression or anxiety or fears or, or all the kinds of emotion, emotional turmoil that, that can come up in life. But that's not the truth. The truth is that we live in a fallen world, a Genesis 3 world like everyone else. And we can struggle through those things as well. We have no force field. We're not invincible. If you're struggling in those ways, friend, don't walk alone. God will be with you. But a lot of the times, God uses people to help you. People become his hands and feet to encourage you, to lift you up. So so get help if that's you. And reflecting on this passage, next, God is more concerned with who you are than with your comfort. He is more concerned with who you are than with your comfort. God is committed to shaping us and transforming us to help us become more like him, to help us have his character. You see, he cares so much for you that he may be putting some plants and some worms and some scorching winds into your life. Because he loves you, not because he doesn't, but because he loves you deeply. He wants to help you become more like him. So as you, as you sort through life and you look at the difficulties that you're facing, recognize that it just may be the tribulations that you're experiencing that God is using to train you. Those tribulations, they train. It's often painful, but God does a good work. If we'll walk with him, if we'll trust him in the midst of those difficult days, so we've seen that God is more concerned with who you are, with your character, than, than your comfort. One author tells a story of a woman that he met in a Vienna airport. She was wearing a lanyard, had a clipboard and pen, and walking up toward him, and he realized this is probably a lady who's going to be doing a survey. An airport probably has, has her here to, to do some sort of a survey, and so he began to talk with her, and conversation uh, uh, began to, to really develop. He, he asked where she was from. She was from Austria. He asked her, what are you doing here in Vienna? She was a student. She began to share with him about her family. Her mother had left their family chasing after a lover. Her dad, she said, was eaten up by bitterness over all of it. Her, her brother was also living in Vienna, but the two of them were estranged. And so this man, in talking with her, said to her, I'm really sorry about the estrangement that seems to have characterized so many of your relationships. And then she said, that's not all my boyfriend just told me that he's leaving me for another woman and so this man told Allegra uh, the name of this uh, woman doing the survey um, you know what I know you need to fill this survey out so I want to I want to help you out with that but I've been sent here to tell you something and so then she was troubled. She was like, has the airport planted you? Are you here to like check and make sure I'm doing my job? And here I've just been spilling my guts with you. Am I going to be, and, and he said, no, it's nothing like that. Let, let's, let's do the survey. I know you need to. So, so she raced through the survey and then she said, what have you been sent here to tell me? Well, knowing that Allegra had faced abandonment and betrayal, that she felt those deep wounds, he said to her, the God of the universe sent me to tell you that he loves you. That he knows your name. And he will never betray you. Allegra, he'll never abandon you. Allegra, God loves you. God loves you. And he said it a third time. Allegra, God loves you. And at that she began to break down. And she began to sob and to cry. And she said to him, but you don't understand. I've done so many bad things. And he said to her, I I may not understand But Allegra, God does. He knows. He knows all about that. And that's why he sent his son. He sent his son so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could have hope. Now, brothers and sisters, we have a message the world needs to hear, a message the world desperately needs to hear, that people right here in Uvalde need to hear, that your neighbors need to hear, that the people you work with need to hear, that your Family needs to hear. But the question is this. Are we going to be watching and waiting? Spectators? Or are we going to have the heart of God. And pray and proclaim the message. You see God's heart for the lost. Oh it should burden our hearts for the lost. Brothers and sisters this morning. Let's ask God to burden our hearts. To weigh our hearts down for those who don't know him. And this week, if you know the Lord Jesus, I want to encourage you this week, before next Sunday rolls around, will you strive to share the gospel with someone? This goes for me, for all of us who know the Lord. Will you strive to share the gospel with someone? If, if, if that seems like a really daunting task to you, use a track, there's tracks out in the foyer that, that, that give the gospel plan and say to a friend, hey, look at this, can we talk about it? Between now and next Sunday, let's not just wait and watch. Let's pray and proclaim. Let's pray for opportunity, and then let's take the opportunity that God gives us. The world is in a huge mess. How the world needs the message of hope, the message of the gospel that can be found through Christ. Will you tell someone this week? Now, maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. Maybe you feel a bit like Allegra, like like people have abandoned you and betrayed you, like like you have too rough of a past. You've done so many things. But perhaps that's you. And you've wondered to yourself, where is God in all of this? Friend, I want to tell you where God is. God is right here and his arms are open wide and he's waiting for you to run to him. How do you run to God? You say to God, I'm tired of doing my own thing. I'm tired of running my own life. And God, I'm turning away from that. And I'm turning towards you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again. And I want to follow him. And the Bible says that when you call out to God like that, when you run into his arms, that he's going to grab you up and he's never, ever going to let you go. Even when you mess up, even when you drop the ball. Even when you let him down, he will never let you down. You will always be in his arms this morning. Why wouldn't you run into the arms of God? Why would you say no to the wide mercy of God? Why would you think that there's a better way? Why would you imagine that you can come up with something better? Friend, there's nothing better than knowing the love and the mercy of God. This morning, he's calling out to you if you don't know him. Come. Come, won't you come? Join me in prayer.